Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so you'll be better equipped to amplify your impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity and what it means to bring humanity into the world. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and we are excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. Haley, welcome to another episode. Here we are. Uh, and this is a new year. So you know we've had a couple episodes in this new year, but always good to start off, you know, the new year with, you know, some excitement and motivation and things like that. Well, we've had a guest the last couple of episodes, and this one we're going to do it on our own. And I'm fascinated. You know, we both had a long day. You've you've been in the classroom, and and uh, I've been doing some volunteer work in our community. And uh, you brought up a great topic for us to talk about tonight. Yeah. So I was just thinking about dogs in your anthropology class. So I am very curious uh, about what inspired inspires you to talk about dogs yeah so I just you know me I I love dogs I've always loved dogs um I think you know I've grown up you know one of my uh you know we always had a dog when I was growing up um I remember that being something that mom would always say you know taking me for walks as a newborn with the dog and you know having to have the dog run outside the van as she tried to get me to sleep and stuff I remember her telling me all these stories Um, But then also, I think it was my first sort of step, my first foray into uh, uh, adulthood a little bit, I guess, was when you made me write my accountability agreement um, in order to adopt, you know, this nine-year-old, you know, Bijan Frise from the um, Humane Society who was aptly named Lucky, but, you know, kept coughing and had lung problems and warts and separation anxiety and you know, all kinds of issues with this nine-year-old dog. Um, so uh, actually, here, let me just switch over my mic. This will this will help actually a little. Here we go. Can you hear me okay? Good. Absolutely. Perfect. We got you. Amazing. Okay. Um, you know, so, you know, that dog was uh, such an important part. I think, you know, was there, that dog was there for me when I was, you know, nine and struggling with, you know, all the awkwardness of puberty and preteen life. And that dog was a consistent, even though that dog was, a hot mess. The dog was a disaster. Lucky. <laughs> but I loved that dog so much. That yappy little Bijan that was nine years old, the same age I was when I adopted her. Um, and then, you know, now I have my own kind of, I mean, problematic dog in a lot of ways that I've sort of uh, adopted from my husband since we started dating. Um, this mini Aussie who has its own, he's his own quirks and things like that. But, um, you know, in, in this anthropology class that I teach dogs have been such an important part, um, to humans and in terms of how we've evolved and grown as a species, um, you know, from our hunter gatherer days, both in the East and the West. So, you know, conquering Eurasia uh, or spreading into Eurasia, I should say, um, and through into North America, but then also, you know, out of Africa in general. Um, so yeah, I don't know how much you know about dogs, but I know you personally know a lot about dogs. What's, uh, what's your personal connection with dogs before I get into the academia of it all? Well, I want to hear about the academia part about the whole anthropology sure. of dogs. So I was raised, sure. with dogs. we had Norwegian elk hounds growing up. My first dog was a, a, uh, a German, sh- uh, Dachshund, Dachshund, 
that I got for Christmas came in a in a uh, stocking with a little red hat on. Uh, not a great not a great personality, but he was a great protective dog. He used to keep me protected from my brother. And so when my brother would, my brother was the cat person in the family. I was the dog person. And uh, he was known to bite my brother if he would to, to help defend my older brother against my older brother. He was my defense system. Um, so uh, not the most friendliest dog in the world, but he was very protective of me. So I felt a little safer around my brother with my dog. But later on as a teenager, <laughs> uh, I ran into uh, Norwegian elk hounds and we, we bred Norwegian elk hounds as a kid and uh, loved Norwegian elk hounds. And so I, I've just always had a dog and dogs have been a significant part of our life, but also a significant part of my emotional life. As I've gone through my own mental health challenges, as you know, my, my, my bouts with depression and my bouts with anxiety, uh, our, our dog is very impactful. Um, you know, you'll see in many of my posts pictures of Lenny, uh, who's a cross between a St. Bernard and a Rottweiler. And he, he's a gentle soul in our family and has provided me a great deal of emotional support uh, in, in recent years. And I've always, you know, I, I, I connect with dogs in the morning. I take uh, both of our dogs for a walk. Uh, and and in the, it, it just connected with nature, connected with dogs. It just slows me down. Um, and they are apparently the only animal that is able to read the emotion of a human face. And so they are yeah. very connected to us. So I am very interested to hear what mm -hmm. you have to say about dogs from an anthropology perspective. Yeah. So they estimate that, so dogs were our first domesticated animal. This was before agriculture, even before we domesticated corn and we're, we're growing wheat and established towns and cities and communities, right? This was before that they estimate, you know, that 16,000 years ago or longer, they do have some evidence that could date back to 32,000 years ago, um, in terms of when we actually domesticated dogs. So they've been around since, you know, we were hunter gatherers, um, they've been around since before we we settled in permanent communities and started growing um, and agriculture and livestock. Um, and we domesticated them. I mean, the jury's out specifically how we would have done it, but um, how how, you know, an anthropologists and scientists um, guess uh, is by uh, wolf packs, um, very similar hierarchies to humans um, in, in a lot of perspectives. Um, the, the weakest and the most gentle and docile of these wolf packs, um, having not really had a, you know, a leadership role in their own hierarchy would have wandered into human camps, uh, for food, um, in search of warmth, perhaps scraps, things like that. Um, and so, you know, they started to wander into human communities. Humans started to take a liking to them, feeding them a little bit of scraps. Uh, and in turn, these, these wolves at the time. Uh, would protect humans from predators. Um, they would provide companionship. Um, and they, you know, ate very, very similar food to early humans. They can survive on uh, an omnivorous diet. Now they've, you know, evolved to have much more starch in their diet before it would have been much more meat heavy. Um, but they can eat, they ate a lot of berries and things like that as well. The same sort of diet as humans. And so over time, uh, the, the most docile and gentle um, and, you know, 
submissive of these wolves, uh, humans would have started to breed them with each other. Um, and so on and so forth, you start to have, you know, everything from a pug to a beagle, uh, to a great Dane, um, as we start to breed them for specific purposes. So, you know, back in our hunter gatherer days, you know, we would, we would use wolves or wolves, which eventually, you know, became dogs, same species though, like a wolf and a dog are the same species. They can still, uh, breed and have viable offspring, which is sort which are sort of the two factors, um, in determining one species from the next. So they're technically the same species, technically, uh, genetically similar enough. However, we know that, you know, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to breed a chihuahua with, you know, an Arctic wolf, for example. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so they've been around with us for, for tens of thousands of years. Um, and then as humans start to spread out all over the world, uh, and start to settle and, and agri and start to, you know, the agricultural revolution started happening. Um, we started living in, in really cold climates, really warm climates. We started to, um, fish and, and hunt and track and, uh, look after, you know, hunt larger animals. And we started to, um, look at, um, you know, protecting ourselves and exploring new territory, um, and things like that, we started to breed animal or breed dogs with that specific purpose in mind. Um, and then, you know, jump ahead a, you know, a few thousand years, we start to get, um, breed standardization. Um, so, you know, you have dogs for sheep herding, you have dogs for cattle herding, you have dogs for, uh, weasel hunting, you have dogs for, uh, speed and agility. You have guard dogs, uh, corgis. Even I always find this interesting is that corgis original purpose was actually cattle herding, which doesn't really make sense when you consider their small statue or stature rather, but they can, uh, you know, nip at the heels of these cattle and get them in line. Um, you know, border collies, obviously for sheep herding. Um, and you have all of these different, you know, dogs that start to be bred with specific traits in mind. Um, and then you start to get the breed standardization practices happening, you know, and the, you know, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, and so on about what it meant to have these specific breeds. Um, but dogs have been with us, you know, since, you know, our origins as hunting gathering creatures. Um, and then now when you look at, you know, what dogs are, they're, they're on every single, uh, every single continent alongside humans, you know, they, you know, they're therapy dogs. There are, you know, um, dogs that can sense seizures. There are dogs that can, um, be trained that when a child is, is, um, pretty low functioning on the autism spectrum, uh, and are a flight risk, uh, there are dogs that are trained to completely stand still so that if the child uh, starts to bolt and is attached to this dog, this dog will know to stand still and lie down to keep this child safe. Um, dogs are trained to, uh, operate light switches and open doors and refrigerators and, uh, and collect important food, do deliveries, things like that for people with a wide variety of disabilities. Right. Uh, and then you also just have, you know, <laughs> hugs and bulldogs that, and mixed breeds, um, that just provide so much love and attention, uh, to the families that they're raising. Um, there are also some studies that show too, that, um, babies who grew up around dogs, animals, other animals too, you know, for sure cats and, and, and other things as well. Um, they have stronger immune systems. Um, they start to, um, you know, develop empathy, uh, a little bit easier. They, you know, cooperate, they share, um, they learn respect for personal space, things like that, that is, can be quite challenging to do otherwise. So, you know, dogs are, I would argue just as important to human development as humans are in a lot of ways. That is fascinating. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, 
I, I talk about dogs as a metaphor in my authenticity workshops, because I say yeah. that different dogs are bred for different reasons. And it's like, absolutely, you have to know if you're going to have a dog, you have to know what their breed is meant to do. So if you have a border collie yeah. and you put them in a kennel, they are going to uh, become um, emotionally very dysregulated because they're not doing what they're meant to do. If you need, if you have a breed of dog mm -hmm. that's meant to be around people and then you isolate them, uh, it, it's not aligned with their authenticity. And so yes. I use it as a metaphor for teaching about authenticity and people really connect with it. And, yeah. and how do, how do we make sure that we, that you know, that you need to know what the breed is that you're getting so that you mm -hmm. can support them to live their true nature. And then I use that yeah. example in organizations when we talk about creating organizations that are aligned with your own individual nature and temperament. And if we're working in a Absolutely. place that's not aligned with our values or our temperament, uh, we despair and we become not only disengaged, but I would suggest we become diseased in many ways, emotionally yeah. and physically. As do when I dogs. look at our, as do dogs, when I look at our incredibly high energy, mini Australian shepherd, um, it's not even enough for us to physically tire him out, you know, like this dog will go on 10 kilometer runs with me and come back wired and we're 20 kilometer runs and come back jazzed and ready for more. Um, but you also have to mentally tire them. And that's an important part of this breed, right? Is knowing that it's not even just the physical exhaustion, but you also have to give them purpose and, and brain stimuli and puzzles. And, you know, so we play hide and seek with them. There's all these things that you have to do with them. But if he were with a family that wasn't active or wasn't able to meet those needs, he guaranteed would get into all kinds of mischief. Um, I've seen this on days when we haven't been able to give him what he needs and he gets into all kinds of nonsense, gets into the garbage. He finds the bot, like the bag of almonds that I left in the bottom of my backpack. He'll unzip my backpack and go rooting for them and then shred the Ziploc and eat all the almonds out of them because he needs that stimuli. Right. And it's not his fault. It's his breed. He's been bred to sheep shepherd, <laughs> to be a shepherd, to herd sheep, to be busy. Right. And so, you know, you can't change the dog. I can't change that behavior out of him. but it's about working with him and, and working with his strengths, right. And weaknesses and things like that to make sure that he's as happy as he can be so that I can keep my almonds, <laughs> you know, but it's well, a great metaphor for the work. Yeah. It's a great metaphor. Because, uh, you know, we need to create systems that support our nature and we need to know yeah. what our nature is. And we lose touch with our nature because we try to please the world and try to accommodate and conform to the world's standards. Very interesting. As you know, I do a lot of volunteer work. Uh, and today I was working. I'm a chair of a board called Wayfinder Wellness Society, which is a board that supports veterans and first responders who have suffered from uh, post-traumatic stress and and so we build this whole community on on the ranch that uh, houses the community and supports them and it's amazing uh today i went into the veterans food bank in calgary and there was an event with the with the minister of uh, veterans affairs and so there was several um several veterans that were part of that community it's a whole community of veterans helping veterans it's a wonderful, supportive community. But the first thing you walk in and you see at least a half a dozen dogs, it's like home there for people. 
And, and their dogs are so much a part of that home environment. And so mm-hmm. the, the, in the, the, there's conversations about the dogs, there's interaction with the dogs, they just are part of that whole community. So I just found that very fascinating. It's always great too at our at our school we have um an agreement with the kids that you know if they trust their dogs and they're able to take care of their dogs um and they communicate with us they're able to bring their dogs in um and I've always found it particularly noticeably different during exam time or during periods of stress that these dogs and obviously all dogs are different but most of these dogs will just ground the students not even just the one who brought the dog in but will just totally ground the energy of the room. Right. And just, you know, the second that these kids, these are high schoolers too. Right. But the second that these high schoolers come and pet this dog, just the whole energy is just all of a sudden focused and grounded and calm. Um, we even had just by Cirque by happenstance, um, at exam time in the, in the spring, um, one of the students had I think golden doodle puppies, um, that they were trying to get rid of. And so they brought a bunch of these puppies to school and it was the best way to prep for exams. Cause all of these kids now, instead of burrowing their heads in books, which, you know, only is, is productive to an, an extent, uh, was able to take a break, go outside and sit with these puppies. And just the, the huge shift in their mood was incredible. Um, and so you just like see the power of these animals, these, these empathetic animals that are just bred to serve and be submissive to humans, but also work as a partnership with humans, right? Like, you know, we give dogs a purpose and and dogs give us a purpose, right? This, this unique partnership that we have that we don't have with any other animal on this planet. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty special. Um, and even how you can always see like the kids too, that, have grown up with dogs and just know how to work around dogs and, and just, you know, how it just like their, their whole demeanor just totally changes. Um, when you have these gentle, and of course, like the kids that bring in these dogs, they're all family dogs, right? So these are all dogs that are used to being around kids and, you know, hands touching them and noise and yelling and things like that. Right. But, um, you know, what an important, um, piece that is for, for these kids. Well, it's interesting. Just a little side story. I digress a little bit here, but we, um, I've always said that border collies are all bred to work and you have Mm -hmm. to let, you have to get border collies to breed, uh, you know, you have to get border collies to, to work if you're going to keep them happy and, uh, and fulfilled in life. Australian shepherds too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was visiting the ranch where we have this wayfinders because we have a whole ranch for this community of uh, first responders and veterans. And I was talking to the ranch owner and who breeds, uh, border collies and trains border collies. And I said, boy, yeah, I, I was trying to be smart and say, oh yeah, all border collies are meant to uh, to work. And he said, well, not necessarily. Some of them are born. <laughs> they don't like to work. They just want to be a good companion. And they just, yeah. they're just a lot of loving companions. So, the, you know, we're, we, we just need to really be connected to our dogs. And uh, for those mm-hmm. of you who are dog lovers, and uh and aligned with dogs and maybe it's another animal that you connect with but what 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 animal and you know and i guess i would say what breed if you're a dog lover what breed is it that connects you to helps connect you to your spirit and yeah so it's a fascinating conversation and we would love to hear dog stories if you have any Mm -hmm. that uh your own experience we'd love to hear from you I even remember Chandra saying to uh, Chandra, my sister, uh, who is a police officer with the city of Calgary police, 
we always asked her like, you know, you'd be such a great fit for the canine unit. And she said, absolutely not. She's like, those dogs are not companions, they're tools. And so you have, they're treated as such. And so if anything were to happen, any kind of emergency situation, um, they're a tool. It'd be just the same as like, you know, somebody destroying a police car. If something happened to that dog, if, you know, a perpetrator or whatever was going after the dog, she would not, it, it, they're not counted as a partner. They're considered a tool. And so she said, I could not live that life. That is not something I could do. Uh, dogs are so much more to me than that. And so, you know, it's, it's really true, right? Like these, these dogs are important parts of family. For a lot of us, they're our first memories, our first siblings in a lot of ways. Uh, the first time you try out, you know, independence and adulthood, uh, by getting a dog when you're, you know, with that significant other or on your own, that first sort of step of caring for something beyond yourself, right? And then also, you know, that that step into retirement of, of care and, and kindness. My mother-in-law, when she lost her husband, adopted this dog. And it's been, I mean, you know, it's been uh, a journey for her, I think. But to have this companion and sense of purpose has been huge, right? And so I just think, like, these dogs are are so important to us as humans. They are. Well, I am grateful tonight as we wrap this up. I am grateful for the memories of all of all the dogs in my life and what they've meant to me. And I'm grateful for this conversation because it was a very spontaneous decision to have a to have an episode about dogs. But I'm reflecting on some of the dogs that have come and gone into my life and how it teaches us to love and how it teaches us to open our heart. Uh, mm -hmm. it, 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 how it teaches us to to let go uh, as they pass on and we go through this and we wonder, I'll never get another day. You know, every time we put a dog down and we, I'll never, I'll never have another dog. And then sooner or later within six months or a year, there we are with another dog after we finish the grieving process. So, uh, so it's a part of the human journey. What were you going to say? I was going to say, and you watch movies like John Wick, and I don't know if you've seen these movies, Dad, but they're just like action movies, right? Um, but the whole premise is that this guy goes after a, an entire group of Russian mafia members because they kill his dog. <laughs> and that's the whole that's the whole movie. And the whole time you're like, yes, that's absolutely justified. Yes. You know, because they go after his dog in like the first scene and, and you get really angry upset and you know it motivates him to just go on this killing spree and it's this whole action movie series anyway like and it's, there's a reason why it's so popular is because you know don't do that <laughs> you know well, you can't you know, kill a person's dog you know it's interesting how dogs can serve us in so many ways i um years ago i'll never forget this guy he was i was doing some coaching with him and he was very rational guy and and uh corporate lawyer and worked everything by the books, just lived in his head. And when his dad died, he was the executor in his dad's will. And uh, he, he and he just walked through that whole experience, never showed any emotion. And about six months later, he was out in the backyard, in the backyard throwing a Frisbee uh, for his Labrador retriever. And the dog ran off into the street to chase the Frisbee and was suddenly hit and killed by a car. And he he picked the dog up off the street and sat on his lawn and cried for about two hours. Just sobbed. Now, when I was working with he and his wife, his wife was saying, I was doing some counseling with them, and his wife was saying that, or he, that she thought that he cared more about his dog than he cared about his dad. 
But what we mm -hmm. came to in a discussion together was this dog gave this guy a gift to open his heart. And it was really grieving as much his, his dad as he was his dog, but the dog's death opened the door for him to give himself permission to grieve the loss of his father and the awakening of his humanity. And so mm -hmm. there's many gifts that our dogs come in, and I, I hope that, that as they come into our life. So I hope that we can uh, stop and reflect as you listen to this episode, that you'll stop and reflect about any dogs that have come into your life and what they mean to you. I know you kind of already mentioned that's what you're grateful for, but anything else to mention for what you're grateful for this week? Well, I'm just always grateful for the conversations. I'm uh, back yeah. teaching at university this this uh, winter, and I've got another class tomorrow, and I'm really enjoying the students. I, it's lovely to get back in the classroom. I'm a sessional instructor at the University of Calgary in their graduate program and their social work program. And uh, I'm just really enjoying the students. I'm enjoying the learning environment. I'm enjoying the freshness of being able to have uh, fairly young people, although they're pretty mature students, pretty wise, but uh, just, I love to be in that environment and love these conversations as always. Any gratitude from you? I think other than dogs, obviously. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, we've just, I just had a, a musical theater rehearsal after school today. I'm just so grateful for those kids energy. And then also I think too, we did a, you know, in this class that I teach in, in high school, the same one actually that I talked about dog, excuse me. Um, we did a exercise about designing the perfect city. Um, and like, where would you place different buildings and what purposes do these buildings and institutions serve? And just the ideas that they came up with about environmentally friendly, that's caring for the elderly and putting the elderly retirement homes beside the daycares so that they can help each other. And, you know, uh, bicycle paths, um, that are cleared first and no cars and public transit, um, and grocery store, healthy food options available everywhere. And, um, you know, looking at nuclear power as, um, you know, something more, most sustainable and lowest risk. And just like hearing all of their ideas, um, it just sort of gave me hope, I think, for this next generation that, I mean, yes, it was a very like hypothetical, idealized sort of situation about like, what do you need in a city? But just hearing their ideas just, uh, you know, gave me a lot of hope for this next generation about, you know, we're, they're inheriting a world full of issues. Um, and yet they're still able to be like, well, you know what, I think we can make it better and here's how we're going to do it. Um, so that was a, a really lively, encouraging, uplifting uh, lesson for me to, to sit back on and reflect these kids discuss. Wow. That's yeah. inspiring. That's very cool. inspiring. Yes, it's very cool. It was very it's cool. So good. You can bring that out in them. Oh, I it's try. in there. <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks stay real. We will see you next episode. Thanks for listening. See you Haley. Bye dad. <laughs>